it wouldn't be a Christmas series if we didn't pull out some Clark Griswold, you know? And um, what we're talking about today is actually a person who I would say is the Clark Griswold of the Christmas story. We're going to talk about Joseph, who was the, you know, earthly father of Jesus, but not really his father. We're going to talk about that and how that plays into messy choices that we all experience when we think about being in relationship with Jesus. Before we go any further, though, I ask you guys to just pray with me. Hey, God, uh, thank you for another Christmas opportunity, another um, time to consider the gift that we have in Jesus coming and physically taking on human flesh and living a perfect life and, and being the sacrifice for us that we couldn't be um, and, and paying a price for us we couldn't pay. And I just ask that as we consider the messes that sometimes start our relationship with you, Jesus, that we would also be able to see just the beautiful endings that come from them in the midst of this series. And that's what I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I, I don't know, maybe it's because I have a new child four-month-old, um, and maybe it's because of some other things, but I've just been looking at this story of Joseph in the Bible and just seeing it very differently and specifically seeing how I can learn from Joseph what it looks like to make some messy choices when you're in relationship with Jesus. See, like I said, maybe it's because I have my own child now because, you know, my wife and I have had to face some very messy choices as we think through how we want to raise Nathan, and some of them I want to talk, talk to you about because, you know, we... Let's just say we're part of the Google generation, you know, and just between Google and a great book called Baby 411, we thought we were very well prepared for everything we face as parents. I mean, you know, we were ready. And we have made some choices, some hard choices, some hard choices that I know some of you parents just don't have the intestinal fortitude to make. We, we had made those. Um, we, we made some choices around the bobo. You probably don't know what I'm talking about. The binky. It's called everything other than what it is. We make choices around pacifiers, baby pacifiers. Look, the data is very clear. Your baby has the ability to soothe themselves. And, you know, some parents use that pacifier, that binky, as a cop-out. But for Maria and I, that wasn't an option. We were just going to be strong-willed parents, and we were going to let this kid soothe themselves. That's what we were going to do. And so baby was born. Day one, we let the baby soothe himself. Day two, day two, actually a crazy thing happened. See, we were in the hospital, and what happened was I accidentally stumbled, and as I stumbled, one of those binkies got in my hand, and as I fell, it actually fell into Nathan's mouth. And as it fell into his mouth, all of a sudden he was, he was soothed. And so, as you can imagine, we made a different choice about the bobo. So, you know, we started this thing, plan A, we are not going to do that. We're not going to be that parent. Nathan's going to self-soothe. But pretty, pretty soon, you know, I find myself making trips to Target for extras of these because here's what I've learned, you know, for all of you parents who know how crazy it was for me to think that in the beginning, now you know the secret is you need about a couple of these on every floor of your house. And if you're gonna, look, if you're going to go the passy route, just go all out. So, you know, we run out every now and then, got to get some more passies. But that was a choice. We was, you know, it was a messy choice. We didn't imagine that that was going to be a choice we had to make. And, you know, babies do that. Babies have a way of quickly taking you from plan A to plan B and plan C. They do that. I'll give you another one for us. The other one was the, the bed. The bed was another messy choice for us. Again, folks, the data is very clear on this. Your baby can sleep in their crib. They can do it. They can handle it. And if you want a co-sleep and a little co-sleeper, that's great. But the family bed, you know, there's just some risks you don't need to take. So Maria and I, very, very clear, had the co-sleeper, and the baby slept in the co-sleeper. That's where the baby's supposed to sleep. Only one problem. The parents couldn't sleep when the baby was in the co-sleeper. So that one we actually lasted about 17 days on. But 
hey, we're a family bed now, you know. And so you find yourself making these crazy choices when babies come into your world. And I think it's because of that that I've been having some sensitivity around the story of Joseph in the Bible. Because, you know, we can think of Christmas like, we can think of Christmas as this clean, pristine thing. Where, you know, we get this great gift in Jesus, he comes, he's a baby, nice and clean, hey, you know, life is good. But as we're going to see today, when it comes to Joseph, Jesus coming into his life, him having to consider Jesus, was kind of messy. Because babies have a, a way of doing that. And I think another reason why I've been moved by Joseph's story is, as I think about the traditions that I have around Christmas, I'm just re-examining some that I've kind of discarded before. And one of them is a tradition that kind of goes back to the history of the church for thousands of years called Advent. And Advent actually begins tomorrow. Many of you may celebrate Advent. Advent means arrival. And it's the time between now and Christmas. And in, you know, the church for thousands of years, it was a time of kind of spiritual preparation, a time to kind of prepare room in our, in, in our, in our minds and to think about what does it mean to not just receive Jesus as this gift from God that kind of gives us a ticket to heaven, but also to receive him as an authority in our life as a king. Because that's what he came to be. And so I've been reading up on Advent and thinking about it. And I came across something that really just struck me. A, a writer was writing about this particular celebration of Advent. And this is what he said. He said, I think the true meaning of Christmas is about possibility in the midst of the impossible. It's not the kind of possibility that comes from a confidence in our own skill, knowledge, ability, or a positive mental attitude. It is possibility that comes solely from the fact that God is God. And that he is the kind of God who comes into our human existence to reveal himself and to call us to himself. It is a possibility that is so surprising at its birth that we are caught unaware. And you know, if there's anything you see when you read the story that we're going to read today of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, is that Joseph was caught unaware. This, this thing of Jesus coming and, you know, this whole immaculate conception, the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin who had never been with a man, Joseph was caught unaware by all of this, and I think there are some things we learn in his story about how to respond to some of the messy choices that often come from being in relationship with Jesus. We find his story in the first biography of Jesus' life in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew. And there's not a lot about Joseph, but as I've read through this, I think there's some great insights we can get from just a little bit the Bible tells us about this man. So starting at Matthew 1, verse 18, this is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And I want to just kind of camp out in that today because there are some insights that we can learn from Joseph's response to some pretty messy choices that he faced. You see, when we think about that time in history, there's a couple of things we know. And the first is we know that Joseph was, you know, a Jewish carpenter 
who probably had just some pretty normal expectations for his life. You know, I'll call this plan A. Joseph's plan A looked like this. He was engaged to be married to Mary. And in that time, to be engaged was the same as being married in our time. At least from a cultural standpoint, it was the same. When you were betrothed or engaged in that time, basically a lot of things had had to happen up to that point. And so from a cultural standpoint, even though they hadn't physically come together and consummated the marriage, culturally, they were considered a couple. They were considered a married couple. Not only that, but spiritually, because of all that preparation and because of the commitment, they were spiritually considered a married couple. So Joseph had a clear plan A. Hey, I'm already kind of there. I'm going to marry this good virgin girl named Mary. I'm a carpenter, so, you know, I'm going to kind of try to grow my business, take care of my family, and I'm going to have some babies. I mean, I'm going to do what people do in my time. I, pretty simple plan A for Joseph. Until one day, plan A becomes plan B. Plan B, plan B went like this. Joseph is interacting with his fiance, who comes to him one day and says, Honey, sweetheart, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant, but, but you don't have to worry because I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, sometimes we can read the Bible and just like, you know, detach ourselves from reality. So guys, follow me on this one, okay? Today, you're, you're married, you're married, you're engaged, you go home, you go home, and your wife stops you right before you go to bed tonight and says, honey, sweetheart, I'm pregnant. Now some of you, even being married, that would be enough to freak you out. So, some, some of you, you're just like, what? What? But imagine for whatever reason, you know it's not your child. It's not your child because it just couldn't be your child. You haven't been with this person in the, in, the, in the case of Joseph. He had not been with Mary in that way. I'm pregnant, but you don't have to worry. It's by the Holy Spirit. Oh, really? Oh, really? Okay, so I'm supposed to believe that. So I can imagine that Joseph in his humanness had a little bit of doubt. And maybe as it was, you know, confirmed because she was showing, he, he may have been a little bit upset. I mean, you can imagine how Joseph would have received this information. It was messy. This was a messy situation. You see, there were some social ramifications of this choice. Even if Joseph said, okay, I understand, I buy into that, he had some stigma that would have been attached to the choice to stay with Mary. So he, it was messy. It wasn't as clean as we might want to think. Plan A became plan B. Plan B was, okay, I'm going to divorce this virgin girl quietly, and I'm actually just going to go on with my life. That was plan B for Joseph until something happened. The, the story goes on to say he was visited by an angel. He was visited by a literal angel. This isn't a figurative thing. He was visited by a literal angel who says, Joseph, you need to know that what Mary said to you is true. You see, Joseph, you knew. The angel talks about the fact that there had been prophecies for thousands and thousands of years. Joseph knew that the way rescue was going to come to his people, to the Israelites, was that God was going to physically incarnate himself. He was going to physically take on human form. And I don't know if they fully understood what that prophecy meant, but it was clear in the prophecy that this child would be born of a virgin. And Joseph, the angel, had to remind him, hey, you, you, you know that this is happening. Joseph, what I'm telling you is Mary your fiance has been chosen. And by virtue of her being chosen, Joseph, you are chosen. You are chosen to be the earthly father of God, of this prophesied savior. The Messiah was the word that they used for him, and it meant anointed one and rescuer. They, they knew it was coming. Joseph, you're the one who's chosen. This angel tells Joseph this. And the Bible says that Joseph woke up from that dream, and he actually followed through on plan C. Plan C was, okay, married, good virgin girl who is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, 
and live with the stigma that would come with that. So Joseph's choices got very, very messy. And I think there's some things that we see in his story that help me think about how should I respond when I face those kind of messy choices. I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, that for all of us, when we think about receiving Jesus, when we think about being in relationship with Jesus, it's, it's, it's messy. Oftentimes, particularly at the beginning, it's very, very messy. But even as we grow in our relationship, we keep finding these areas of our life where it's really hard to come under Jesus' authority as king. And those are the messy choices we face. But there are two things I see in Joseph's story that are two principles I think we can apply when we face those kind of messy choices. And the first is this. Joseph gave God room to speak. Joseph gave God room to speak. <clears throat> I grew up with this story because I grew up in church. And one of the things that nobody ever kind of talked about that was pretty obvious to me is this, that if you know, we all have messy choices. We all have some things we're facing. Hey, if God would just, like, show up as an angel or show up with an angel for me, I, I think I'd be okay with making some different choices. You know, if it was that obvious, I think I'd be okay with making the right choice, you know, hey, because there was this angel that came. But the thing that struck me as I read this story again is I think Joseph received that message from the angel partially because of him giving God room to speak because of the choices he made before the angel even showed up on the scene. Let's take a look again at what it says. After he receives this news from Mary, it goes on to say in verse 19, Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. And that word righteous meant he was a man who was very up and in tune with the Jewish law of that day and was a man who believed in following that Jewish law. And that Jewish law was given to the people by God. And one of the things that was very clear in that Jewish law was that even Joseph staying with Mary if, in fact, she hadn't been pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and if she had kind of gone out, stepped out on him, if he stayed with her, it was almost like him being accomplice to her sin. And so he knew that the Jewish law had some ramifications of that for him. And it says he was a righteous man. He was a man who wanted to follow through on that law. Now, one of the other things, and I don't know that this is necessarily um, what God had pointed out always in the law, but one of the things that was clear is culturally at that time, Joseph had a couple of options available to him, one of which was because he didn't have to buy into Mary's story, he could have stoned her to death. He could have executed to say, hey, listen, I don't know what she's saying. I don't believe it. I want to exercise my right culturally to just simply execute her for this choice that she's made that violated this vow, this trust that we had. So Joseph was a righteous man. As a righteous man, we know he wanted to follow the law. But here's the other thing it says. It says that he also did not want to cause public disgrace to Mary. See, not only was Joseph a man who wanted to follow the Jewish law, this is really where I think he had given God room to speak. He also was a man who wanted to follow the character of God. And one of the things he saw in the character of God is that sometimes God doesn't execute people who deserve to get executed. Sometimes God acts out of grace. And grace is this mystic thing that we can't understand, but God offers grace, and Joseph knew that. So the thing that's so powerful is that Joseph had found a way to come to a place where he was honoring the law that he wanted to follow, that Jewish law and the cultural dynamics of that law, but he also was able to, to act out of grace for Mary. And I want to say that this is how Joseph gave God room to speak. I think for many of us, it's easy when we face messy choices to act out of our emotions. Imagine his emotion. I'm sure his emotions included anger. 
And he could have acted out of anger and executed Mary. I'm sure some of, the, some of the feelings he might have had were betrayal and just feeling betrayed. And he could have acted out of that. I think Joseph gave God room to speak because he stepped away from his emotions. And he took time to think about the law that was applied to him. And you could call that looking at the Bible and looking at biblical principles and the messy choices we face. And he also looked at the character of God. What, what do I see in the character of who God is? And how should that apply to this choice? He gave God room to speak. You know, I've been thinking about this as I think about a choice that my wife and I face um, financially. You know, this is, a, this is a time where I think a lot of us are facing some messy financial choices. We talked about year-end giving. And if you're like me, I can imagine that there are some challenges that many of you are facing as you think about commitments you've made to generosity. You know, my wife and I make commitments here at Crossroads. We also have some commitments we've made outside of Crossroads. And one of those commitments is one we have not followed through on yet. We made a commitment to sponsor a child in the third world country. We, we have been a part of a community of people who have been doing some things in this area of the world, and we feel really called to be about that, and we feel like the first step for us is just to make a monthly commitment to start sponsoring a child. We don't know where that's going to lead, but we feel called to that. But one of the things that has happened is we've not pulled the trigger on that. And if I look back, quite frankly, the reason I haven't proactively pulled the trigger is based on emotion. You see, money for me is wrapped up in, a lot of times in a lot of fear and in a lot of, you know, I want to be able to control my nest egg. I want to be able to control this, and I want to be able to look ahead and plan out for the future. And so we had just, we haven't pulled the trigger on this. And I, I was thinking about that this week, and I realized, you know what, this is just me not giving God room to speak. It's me acting out of this emotion and not saying, hey, God, are you still calling us to that? You see, there are a lot of great reasons for us not to do that right now. There are a lot of great reasons to not take on another monthly commitment that requires you to give above and beyond what you're already giving. A lot of great reasons for that, but am I making those reasons out of my emotional feelings or am I allowing God to speak to those? And this week, I just spent some time talking to God about that and saying, is this something you're still calling us to? And it was a resounding yes. It was a resounding yes. And actually just today, just today, right before this service, I talked to Maria and I was like, hey, we got to move on this. We got to write the check and we got to move on this because in giving God room to speak, he's, he's, he said some things, and we need to do that. And I think that's the way it is with Joseph. What we see with Joseph is he gave God room to speak. He stepped away from his emotions, and he actually chose to think about the principles and God's law that applied, but also the character of God. And I think that's why he was visited by the angel. And the story goes on to say that he was. That was validated. He was visited by an angel, said, yes, Mary is telling you the story. The story is right. You have been chosen. And not only does Joseph give God room to speak, but the second thing he does <clears throat> is he obeys without all the facts. I think the second thing we have to know is if we're facing messy choices, you've got to be willing to obey without all the facts. Now, this is where, again, I interject myself in the story, you know. I like to do that. I like to make my Bible reading fun and say, okay, what would I do if I was Joseph? And can I just say, I probably would have asked a couple of follow-up questions to the angel, that's just me. I'd ask a couple, you know, here, here's one. Here's one. And I'll, and I'll use the, you know, the King James. A lot of times we think about the Bible, we think about them speaking Old English, even though they spoke Aramaic or other languages. Um, I might have wanted to know, doth the king poopeth? Doth the king poopeth? Am I going to have to change diapers for the savior of the world? Like, just a simple question. Just, just a simple question. Just want to know. Here, here's another one. Doth the king need discipline? Like, do I go to hell if I beat the son of God? Like, what? How's that work? How's that work? Like, help me with that. 
Help me with that. Is that even an option? Does that happen? I don't know. I'm sure Joseph might have had some of those questions. Here's another one. Um, God, you want to give me any parenting tips on this? Because I know this is going to happen. You know, some of you guys have kids. You go to school. Your kids are kind of getting bullied in school. God, how am I supposed to handle it when my kid gets bullied in school, but the reason he gets bullied is because he keeps telling his friends that they're, he's their savior? Like, what kind of advice do I give the son of God on that one, you know? I mean, it, it's clear that Joseph could have just gotten bogged down and said, wait, I've got some other questions. I need more information. Okay, I understand this is true with Mary, but I need some additional information. The thing that I love about Joseph is Joseph, it says, woke up, and he did what the angel commanded without all the facts. Here's some of the facts that Joseph didn't know. Joseph didn't know that when that child was born, he was going to be born at the busiest time in Bethlehem, and there would not be room for him in any of the hotels locally. He, he didn't know that. He didn't know that this son of God, this Jesus, was going to actually be born in a barn and was going to have to be laid in a feeding trough. He didn't have that information. Here's, here's something else he didn't know. He didn't know that when Jesus got to be about two years old, that Herod, who was the king at that time, was going to have what was called the slaughter of the innocents. When he understood that there was a king that was supposed to usurp him, when the wise men came, the Bible says he ordered every child, every male child in Israel to be slaughtered, to be killed if they were two years and under. And so Joseph and Mary and Jesus, it says, had to escape and go to Egypt. Go to a land they didn't know, people who speak a language they didn't know, and figure out how to care and provide for his family. Joseph didn't have all the information, but he obeyed without all the facts. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think for many of us, even if we got the confirmation and we knew that we gave God room to speak and we heard some things, it's still hard to obey without all the facts. I think some of us in here probably have some promptings we've always had. We've always known in this situation or based on this thing or something that's currently going on, we know what we're supposed to do, but it's hard to obey because we don't know all the facts. We don't know how it's going to end up. And that makes our choices messy. It makes for messy choices. It makes for messy choices relationally at Christmas time when you're going home to family. And there's some people in that family who are just hard to get along with. But you're in relationship with Jesus and Jesus says, I'm supposed to love this person. How do I love this person when I just don't love them? I, I don't have any feelings of love toward them. What does that look like, God? What does that look like? Or maybe for many of us, we're going to places where we're going to be faced with people who we just can't forgive. For things that they've done, maybe things they've done recently or maybe things they've done years ago. How do I forgive that person? It gets messy. Particularly when we don't have the guarantee of all the facts. We don't have the guarantee that they're going to receive that love in the way we want them to receive it. We don't have a guarantee that they're actually going to act or do anything different even though we forgive them. They may be the same person they always were. Those messy choices come. What do you do? How do you respond to those messy choices? What we learn from the story of Joseph is we need to give God room to speak. We need to be willing to step away from emotion and say, what does God want to say to me about this particular messy choice that I'm facing? And not only that, but we need to obey without all the facts. And there's an upside to this. There's an upside. I mean, like I said, Joseph in many ways is like the Clark Griswold of the Christmas story. But there's an upside because Joseph gets to participate in his own redemption. He gets to participate in his own rescue by being obedient and following through and creating an environment where Jesus could come into the world and be reared and raised in this earthly family. He gets to be a part of the very rescue plan, the very rescue plan that would be his own rescue. And you see, in that way, I think 
Joseph's choice is actually the choice we all, we all face. We all face this choice when it comes to Jesus and how we're going to respond to relationship with him. You know, what makes this choice messy? I think sometimes we miss the messiness of Christmas because we miss the state that the Bible says we're in before Jesus comes into our life. You know, what the Bible says is that before Jesus, and even for those of us who are in relationship with Jesus, there are still parts of our life where we're growing in this, that we suffer from what you could call a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. Spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is a phenomena that they see with people who've been captive for long periods of time. I was talking with someone who's been over to Mumbai, India, and we're involved in work over there that's about rescuing slave girls who have been literally from a very early age forced into prostitution. And one of the things they find, not just some of the time, like 99% of the time, when those girls are offered freedom, they don't want to leave. They don't want to leave. And the reason is because it's the only life they know. And so it's hard for them to consider life outside of that. And we forget that that's exactly the picture that the Bible paints of me before I'm in relationship with Jesus. I want to show you a verse that I think just kind of teases this out. Um, and this comes from later in the Bible in the book of Galatians, which is one of the letters to early Christ followers. And in Galatians chapter 4, starting at verse 3, this is what it says. It says, so also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. See, what this is saying is before we enter into relationship with Jesus. Why did God have to come in human form? Because we were enslaved. We were enslaved to the basic principles of this world. We were enslaved to this law. We were enslaved to this law that says either I don't need God and I need to figure out life without God or I need to try to work my way to God. And either of those never work. They never work. There's this thing called grace where I don't have to work but clearly I need God, and the way I get there is I simply just say, God, I need you. I receive God, and that's grace. But before I understand Jesus, before I understand why Christmas is messy, why Christmas even happened, I'm in slavery to the basic principles of this world. I'm in slavery to principles that say it's hard to love people who are unlovable. I'm in slavery to principles that say I can't give if I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. I'm in slavery to principles that say I can't forgive people who are going to go out and do the same thing all over again. We're in slavery to the basic principles of this world before Jesus. We have a spiritual Stockholm Syndrome. But what, this, what it says is when the time was right, Christmas happened. Christmas happened. And Jesus comes into the world, and it's this mess at the beginning, but it's this beautiful ending. This beautiful ending where we're in relationship with God. And like Joseph, the way that we get there is by giving God room to speak and obeying, even when we don't have all of the information. You know, I talked about Advent. And I think Advent is something that I want to incorporate into our family's celebration of Christmas. Um, I think that that's something that for us can be a great reminder that Christmas is a time to really prepare to receive Jesus, and yes, there's the receiving of the first gift of Jesus, but there's also, in my relationship with Jesus, there's times where I just need to reopen myself up to saying, hey, I haven't let you speak to this area of my life, and I really want to give you room to speak to that area. And when you tell me things in that area, I actually want to follow through, even if I don't have all the information. And so I want to bring Advent into my celebration of Christmas. M maybe that connects with you. Maybe you're facing messy financial choices. Maybe there's some things right now financially that you don't know how they're going to work out. 
And instead of operating out of the first emotion, maybe the way that you can practice the spirit of Advent is saying, hey, let me just set aside some time and let God speak to me. And if he says anything to me through prayer, if he says anything to me through wise counsel, people who are following God or people who have wisdom in this area, man, I'm going to consider acting on that. Maybe you face messy relational choices. Maybe you face those, and and the way that you can practice the spirit of Advent is just simply saying, hey, I'm going to give God room to speak to me about that specific relationship. What should I say to that person? What should I allow that person to say to me? What shouldn't I allow them to say to me? And when I hear promptings around that, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to follow through. Maybe you're here and you've got messy spiritual choices you're confronting right now, even as you think about this whole idea of slavery to the basic principle of the world. I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand all of this stuff you're saying about Jesus, Chuck, but, but I know that something in my life just doesn't seem to be working, and I, I'm up for understanding more, but I don't know where to go next. Hey, maybe for you, the messy spiritual choice is simply just to be in a place, this place or another place, where you can just let God speak, and you can follow the promptings that he gives you. I'll tell you a practical way that I am going to be applying Advent, and you can do it too. You know, we sung Joy to the World earlier, and... Joy to the World is a song that you're probably going to hear dozens of times over this Christmas holiday. And I've been thinking about the first couple lines of that song very differently as I think about what it means to receive Jesus not as just this gift but also as my king. It says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. That word Lord is the word master. There's There's an assumption that there's authority when the Lord comes. Let earth receive her king and let every heart prepare him room. Prepare him room, open up, be willing to receive influence, be willing to receive his presence, be willing to receive his wisdom. And so for me, and if you want to do this, I invite you to do this. Every time I hear that song this Christmas season, every time, two questions I want to ask myself. One is, am I giving God room to speak? Am I giving him room to speak to me about the things that I'm facing? And am I acting on what he's already told me, even if I don't know all the facts? And so for you, that song can be a trigger to live in the spirit of Advent, the spirit that says, hey, I want to be open to receiving Jesus. I want to be open to his influence. I want to be open to receiving him as not just my rescue, but also as my king. And if that's something you want to do, we're going to sing that song again right now. You can have your first Advent experience right now. Advent starts Sunday. You can have your first Advent experience right now. And if you want to do that, I just invite you to sing this song with us.